Hello and welcome to this latest edition of Advancing the Profession. I'm Rob Jackson and in this podcast series what I'm hoping to do is take a look with some friends and colleagues around the world into more advanced issues for leaders of volunteer engagement moving beyond the basics and the volunteer management 101 into subjects of a little more depth and in this edition I want to be investigating the whole area of credentialing for leaders of volunteer engagement and how the credentialing programs that we have around the world relate to advanced learning and advanced practice by leaders and managers of volunteers. And I'm really pleased to welcome my guest for this episode, Tracy O'Neill from Australia. Now, those of you who've heard the episode of the podcast with Martin Cowling, you will have noticed that he referenced people who've been on the Australasian advanced retreats, who've gone on to be leaders in the field. And it was my very great honor to be invited as a speaker at one of those retreats in 2009, where I first met Tracy. And since that 2009 retreat, Tracy has definitely lived up to Martin's billing as becoming one of the global leaders in our field. So it's a real pleasure to welcome you to the podcast today, Tracy. Perhaps you could just do a bit of an introduction for yourself for those that don't know you. Absolutely. Thank you for such a warm welcome, Rob. I'm really excited to be chatting with you today. So I have been working in the volunteer engagement field for 20 years now, um, as many of us do. It was dumped on me as a social worker on top of my caseload 20 years ago for a, a small organisation. And at that time, I was working with young people and children who'd experienced trauma and were at risk of suicide and self-harm. And after a time, a bit burnt out needed a break but I loved the volunteer management side of my role and so pursued a role in I guess in our sector way back when I have worked in various organizations I've worked in disability mental health I've predominantly worked in public health here in Melbourne Victoria in Australia um, and have recently moved to a social justice organization here called the Brotherhood of St Lawrence who work to alleviate and eradicate poverty in Australia very very passionate about our profession of leadership of volunteer engagement and super excited to be talking to you today well, thank you for your time. And and you are, if I remember rightly, you and your uh, Australian colleague, Ange, are the first two people in Australia to get the CVA credential, aren't you? Oh, I will correct you because I know Pfizer will, <laughs> will want to make sure I get this right. Martin, your previous guest, was actually the very first person Martin. to be certified. And Martin tested out the CBA a number of years ago to see whether he felt it would be relevant here in Australia. And for various reasons, I guess, didn't push that at the time. Um, we've also had a colleague move down from the States, also has her CBA, but she's no longer practicing in the field. Right. So and Sly from the YMCA Victoria here and myself were the first two people, current holders of the CVA who are still practicing in volunteer engagement. And super excited to let you know that we have another three people here Brilliant. in Australia who have certified. So last year, Christine Stankowski um, from Flutterby, and then this year, another couple of colleagues as well. So, and there's various others who are pursuing the, the credential too. So, yeah, very excited. That's great. Well, I'm glad I got that slightly wrong because I had no idea about Martin getting the CBA. <laughs> no, I don't think and I've many known people Martin, did. <laughs> I've known Martin for a very long time. So that's, that's yeah. something new I've learned today. Great. So people listening to this might be thinking, what is CBA? They're not necessarily familiar with the, the term credentialing because 
I know when we've written about this in Engage in the past, it does tend to kind of have quite an Americanism context. So can you tell us about what credentialing and volunteer engagement is and a little bit more about CVA and what that is as well, please? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess to start, I think it's easier to say what credentialing is not. Okay. Um, credentialing is not a qualification. And I make this point because one of the concepts I guess I have thought a lot about and really struggled with over a period of years is that volunteer engagement doesn't fit the definition of a profession. And I really want us to challenge this. You know, the, the definition of a profession entails someone pursuing lengthy formal education and coming out with um, a, a qualification which you need to be able to practice a particular profession. And we know from our experience that we come from so many backgrounds, professions, ex areas of expertise. And for me, I think that really contributes to the richness and the incredible breadth of expertise and skills in our profession. And I think it's a really amazing point of difference that we have. So it's not a traditional qualification that you need to study to work in our field. What it is, is evidence that a leader of volunteer engagement has a particular level of expertise. So right. it's a process of being able to demonstrate that expertise. In the case of the CVA, which is the Certification in Volunteer Administration, it is facilitated by the CCVA, which is the Council for the Certification of Volunteer Administrators. And it's an international certification that has within it seven competencies that leaders of volunteer engagement need to demonstrate they understand and have expertise in. So the process involves, I guess it's different for everybody in terms of the lead up to the process. Um, you need to have a minimum of three years experience in the field. Uh, you need to be doing at least 30% of your role in volunteer administration. So that means you can have dual roles. You can be a paid or unpaid volunteer administrator. And I use the term administrator and I'll probably change it up a little bit, but they use the term volunteer administrator to recognise that we have very many different titles, yeah. you know, coordinator, director, coach, counsellor, program manager, just the titles that we hold are so varied that volunteer administrator encapsulates all of those. And so the process for the CVA in particular includes studying for and sitting an exam, which consists of 100 questions. It is a psychometric exam. Okay. So it's not an exam where you can kind of cram the answers and, and guarantee you're going to be right. There's a process involved in the exam of actually selecting the most appropriate answer for each scenario that you're given. You also need to write a reflective essay to demonstrate your expertise. And then every three years, yeah. we have to renew our credential. Yeah. Um, and so we have to do continuing professional education and we have to provide evidence that we're continuing to invest in our professional development. That's yeah. a mouthful. But that, in essence, is, you know, I guess is credentialing. So it's a pretty big commitment then to get through the, the CBA. It's a huge commitment, definitely. And I think for myself, I'll be really honest, I didn't read the textbook from start to finish, but I had been practising in volunteer engagement for 17 and a half, 18 years at the time I sat the exam. And so I was fairly confident that I knew most of what I needed to do. Saying that, I scraped through in my exam. <laughs> I probably could have done much better if I'd read the textbook. But I think it is a huge commitment, particularly, I think, for people who haven't had 
the same length of experience or haven't been working full-time in the profession for a significant period of time because there is a lot to know. There's seven competencies and, uh, you know, under each of those competencies, there's between 10 and 15 tasks that we need to be able to understand, comprehend and contextualise in, in terms of the scenarios that we're presented in the exam. I suppose what was interesting with, with you, your introduction was you saying, you know, that this credentialing isn't a qualification in the sense of it being an, an entry requirement into roles but I know in North America in particular having a CDA definitely helps you moving beyond that I mean I think your point was absolutely right that the breadth of places where we come from as leaders in our field whether we're dedicated completely to working with volunteers or it's part-time or we're paid or we're volunteer really adds a richness to the profession so why why do you think something like credentialing is important I suppose kind of what attracted you to it what, what what's it delivered for you that you or you thought yeah. it was going to deliver for you that you you didn't have before I think there's two things specifically for me and there's some other things as well about why I think it's important but I researched this for a fair period of time I'd been probably researching local qualifications or certificate courses in Australia and it was in speaking to Ange actually that I decided not to pursue those um, she had undertaken a certificate course here in Australia and of the 12 units that she needed to obtain, she got recognised prior learning for 11 of them. Now, right. for those who don't understand the process of getting recognised prior learning for sitting a certificate or diploma course, it's actually just as intense as sitting the, <laughs> sitting the course itself because you need right. to provide that evidence. But I guess what I was really hoping for was a way to demonstrate what I felt was a more advanced level of expertise than I had had years previous. I wasn't wanting to learn the basics of volunteer management. I wanted to go beyond that. I wanted to be able to demonstrate a level of expertise and credibility in the sector. And I guess before I pursued it, I was kind of thinking about you know, will this get me a promotion? Will it make me more money? And I realised it won't in Australia because no one knows what, no one knew what it was at the time. But I guess after researching it for a couple of years, it became a lot more than that. It became about being able to set myself apart from, and I won't say my peers because I will say so many of my peers are as experienced and have as much, if not more skills in many areas than I do. But I wanted a way to be able to say, I've moved beyond the kind of volunteer management 101 stuff. I'm able to think strategically. I have a lot to offer an organisation. I have a lot to offer the sector. And I really wanted something that I felt gave me legitimacy. I also, I guess, in the couple of years previous, had wanted to start connecting globally. I'm very passionate about us creating a, a sense of us being a global profession and a couple of years before sitting the CVA, I wanted to start connecting with my peers overseas. And the way that I did that, the only way I found that I could do that was to search CVA on LinkedIn and see all of the amazing people who came up. And that allowed me to create some amazing connections. And I recognised that over in Northern America, people were, I guess, getting more benefits from actually having the CVA. Some of the roles over in the United States and Canada you're unable to obtain unless you have a CBA. So there's a level of recognition over there. 
And I thought it would be kind of cool to be one of the people who might start a little bit of a movement down here of something similar to really set an expectation for organisations that there comes a point when you need to be looking at investing in people with more expertise not seeing our role as something you can give abysmal pay to and and just have anybody breathing doing the role it's a role that requires complex skills and knowledge and you know I want us to be recognized as such and I think that's that's really important I mean you still see I don't know about you but I still see so many volunteer management jobs advertised here in the UK one of the entry requirements to apply for that job is you must have a university degree it's never specified what the university degree is or at what level. You know, it could be no disrespect to people with a fine art degree, but it could be a fine art degree. And that has you know no day to day bearing on your competence as yep. somebody who works with volunteers. So to have something that certainly in North America that, that provides that kind of entry requirement, I think, is is a good thing. What I was really interested in in what you said there, though, Tracy, was this idea that you wanted to engage in a process that gave you and validated that more advanced learning. Because my experience, and I haven't done the CBA, I haven't looked into the CBA in great depth, but my experience with other kind of sort of credentialing programs that I've come across in my 20 plus years, and I'm thinking here about something like the National Vocational Qualification that we used to have here in England, was that really what it was assessing was our ability to do the kind of the administrative aspects could did we have a volunteer policy could we create a volunteer strategy did we do safeguarding did we do all of which are incredibly important but I wouldn't naturally feel kind of pushes us to the more advanced level and one of the questions I've asked a number of times over the years of groups of volunteer managers is what makes somebody a really good leader of volunteer engagement and rarely can people actually answer that question beyond the we're really good at pushing bits of paper around and doing the kind of processy side of what we do what what about cva really kind of delivered that beyond the basics of practice and understanding i think there's a there's a couple of things i think that come to mind when i think about this the first is the ability to demonstrate strategic thinking and being able to contribute to the understanding and decisions of an organisation to strategically engage volunteers in their business. So what I mean by that is anecdotally, because I've certainly not researched the organisations, but, you know, we know that many organisations involve volunteers as a way to get stuff done for free or to Mm -hmm. save money or to get things done that don't otherwise get done. Sometimes, you know, they're doing things that the staff can't be bothered, don't want to do. So I think a really big focus of the CBA is around being able to think strategically about every part of those things that you just talked about. I think the administrative and the process side of what we do is really important. Yeah. But it's about how you think about that in the organisation you're working with who has the particular mission and strategic goals that they have. So, you know, we think about retention it's drilled into us that we want to we want to retain volunteers we want to we want to maintain that knowledge we want to keep people around so we have consistency and we have organizational commitment and we have lived experience in the organization but 
is it best for all organisations and do you have the ability to come in and make that assessment based on the organisation within which you're working, the kind of goals that they have and the programs they currently have? You know, what's the strategic thinking behind the staffing of your volunteer program? Very often it's just here's one person to kind of manage all of these hundreds or thousands of people. Is there any thought behind what are they going to be doing? What knowledge do they need? What kind of support do they need? What training do other staff need? And what are the resources we need to invest to make sure that this is a success? What are the strategic decisions behind the data we collect? Why do we collect it? What's the purpose? What are we going to use the outcomes of that data measurement for? You know, the number of <laughs> the number of times we're asked to report on hours and number of volunteers, and I think, why? What does it tell us? What are we going to do with that information? You know, why do we want more or why do we want less? And so I think for me, a big part of the CVA is about being able to demonstrate strategic thinking around all of our decisions and all of our processes and aligning with our specific organisations. So all the questions in the exam in the CVA, I guess, are placed in the context of a particular type of organisation. And so you need to be able to think about that. The other thing that I really loved about the CVA that stretched me and is something that I don't believe that we talk about enough in our sector, barring Engage and the amazing Erin Spink, is ethical practice and ethical decision-making. And I think that very often we get caught up in the best practice and the volunteer life cycle and doing all the bits in the order we need to do them that we don't often consider are the decisions of our organisation ethical? Is what I'm being asked to do ethical? Are the roles that we're asking volunteers to undertake ethical? I think for me, those were the two really big things because everything up until that point had been exactly as you said, all about the process stuff. How do I do the bits I need to do to attract volunteers, then retain volunteers and then recognise volunteers and then say goodbye to volunteers? And it's got to be about more than process. We have to know why we're undertaking those processes. Absolutely. I think that's, again, part of the reason for studying this podcast is to kind of delve into some of those more advanced issues because there isn't yeah. anything else there. What, one of the things that I think is quite interesting in there, you know, our colleague Andy Fryer. Hi, Andy, if you're listening from I was going to say just down the road from you in Adelaide but in Australian <laughs> wow. terms that's hardly just down the road hardly uh, Andy Andy talks and has talked for a number of years about the evolution of our profession from being a kind of very people oriented to being very process oriented and that kind of swinging too far the other way and how we need to become much more persuasive where influencing is really important does the CVA touch on that at all about the, the kind of the influencing skills that you need to deploy because a lot of what you're talking about or you've just been talking about is great and quite right that it needs to happen within organizations but it's that thing of how do we as leaders of volunteer engagement influence to make that happen so I suppose from, from my perspective I'm just interested to know if that influencing angle is covered. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a whole competency around advocacy of volunteer involvement in the CBA. So there's, you know, and a number of the competencies are around the process stuff, but it's also about the strategic thinking around that process stuff. But there, there is a whole competency around that advocacy piece. So part of that's about 
kind of the communication strategies that we need to have with different stakeholders. It's about being able to develop volunteers as advocates, both for themselves in their roles, but also for our mission and strategic goals of our organisations. So I think there's certainly, there's, you know, certainly a focus on that in the CBA as well, definitely. And I suppose the $64,000 question is... (laughs) How has this made a difference in your work? As you said, you know, there's only a handful of you in Australia who've got or are working towards this. So the awareness of it in terms of, you know, helping get you jobs and stuff is not there in the same way that it might be in the US or Canada. So how has it benefited you and how do you hope it's going to benefit you, assuming you kind of re-credential in time? Yeah, absolutely. I think it has certainly given me a level of credibility that I didn't have before. I think particularly in Australia, it's a different type of credibility. Well, not a different type, but I guess it's different than in Northern America because so many people have it over there. It's an expectation around being able to provide evidence of your expertise. Being able to say that I was only one of two Australians who held this international certification certainly gave me a level of credibility, both within my organisation and I think within the sector. A really big part of this for me has been being able to demonstrate my commitment to the profession. You know, because we're a profession who doesn't need a qualification to commence working in the field, we know we have quite a high turnover. I think part of that is particularly when organisations recruit people without understanding the skills and expertise that's required for the role. And so they get people who see it as, you know, a stepping stone to something else or they don't really understand what it is and they it's not something they want to pursue. So I think, you know, being able to demonstrate my commitment to the sector long term has been really important. That I think really helped me, particularly I'd say in some work I've done with state government here. So, you know, I've been invited to participate on the task force to develop our statewide volunteer strategy. Um, Now, I'm not saying it's the CBA that led to that. I think there's some other work that I've done that's also, you know, supported that decision. But certainly demonstrating my, the level of expertise I have was something that was looked favourably upon by the government who was selecting that task force. I think that, again, that ability to connect with my peers has been incredible. I think the opportunities to learn from my peers, particularly overseas, where there's probably a focus on things that we're not talking about so much here in Australia. So Liza Dyer, I'm not sure whether you'll speak to her on your podcast at some point, but Liza was probably the person who got me interested and connected with all things social media and digital and I learned a lot from her and I found Liza through her CVA credential you know and I think things like diversity and inclusion you know while we're aware of the issue here the depth of the conversations Mm -hmm. that are happening in the states around the Black Lives Matter movement Mm -hmm. has been something that I have actively participated in and it's due to my connection with people through the CVA that I have come to learn about the opportunities to participate in those conversations. So the depth of my knowledge has increased because I'm able to connect with people who have very diverse areas of expertise, um, which has been amazing for my own professional development. 
And I think then just the opportunities through that to share my own expertise, you know, being interviewed by Rob Jackson on his podcast. And, (laughs) you know, I've been invited by various volunteer resource centres to come and present to their staff or to organisations who recognise my expertise and would like me to share my experiences and my knowledge with their staff. You know, I think there's there's a whole range of opportunities that have opened up. I don't think specifically because I have the letters CVA after my name now, but I think the doors that it has opened through the connections I've made and my ability to provide evidence of my expertise has been pretty incredible. That's great. Just a couple more questions for you. You, you mentioned about this being an in, you know CVA and CCVA being international. Obviously, the yeah. majority of their audience is, is United States and Canada, as we've said. Is there anything from your perspective as somebody who's not based in the US and Canada that, that you would say there's maybe some improvements? I mean, we're not knocking the CVA at all, but just it was everything transferable, I suppose, is the question. Or were there some bits that you think actually for a truly international audience that maybe needs to be some, some development around that? Or I think this is a really great question, Rob. I would say for myself personally, as someone from a Western country, I found it transferable, absolutely. Okay. But if I was to, you know, if I was to reflect on that question, to think about our profession as truly global, then I think there's probably a fair bit of work that needs to go into really understanding and reflecting how volunteering, and I put that in inverted commas because that is a Western concept, how that translates and how we support a multicultural global community to partner with organisations. I think a big thing that we'll have to consider moving forward is, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there about virtual volunteering and we know we talk a lot about episodic volunteering and short-term and things like that, but I think one of the things that I have noticed and this isn't just for the CVA, but this is for all of us and, you know, the volunteer strategy work that I'm working on as well with our local, well, with our state government, is how do we make sure we're supporting, capturing, acknowledging that informal volunteering? How do we not create that divide between people who are working within organisations in a formal structure with all of the supports and safety nets that are provided by doing that, you know, working within a formal organisation? And how do we make sure that we are acknowledging, working with, partnering with people who just want to do informal things within their community and with their, with, with their neighbours? I think that's, that's and I, you know, I haven't got my head around it yet, but it's something I'm really conscious of. I participated in a lot of informal volunteering last year during COVID and our lockdown and I loved it I loved the flexibility I loved that I could do it on my terms I loved that people trusted me without having to have a police check and blah 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 and they didn't come and check my kitchen when I cooked everyone Anzac biscuits for Anzac that you know there was just there was such freedom in being able to support my community so that's probably one thing I think that we need to consider across the board and certainly the CVA, the CCVA at some point around how do we make sure we're acknowledging and including those experiences. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think this is the longest conversation I've had before somebody's mentioned the pandemic, by the way, in the last few <laughs> weeks. 
But I think you're absolutely right. You, you're right to highlight it originally in terms of that diversity of, of volunteering around the world and, and that we're not always assuming it is constructed from a kind of Western paradigm yeah. of volunteering. But I think that that issue around that growth of informal volunteering in the last year and, and how we square that with, as we were saying earlier on, our much more administrative formal thing, to me, wherever we are in the world, that's going to be one of the defining issues that we have to grapple with in the next two or three years. So yeah. regardless of CVA, I think it's a really, really important point. But obviously, whatever our credentialing programmes are has to keep up and evolve. And I know CVA has done that over a number of years. So yeah. Definitely, yeah. So if people are interested in finding out more about CVA, how can they go about it, Tracy? What can they do? Who can they get in touch with? Yeah, definitely. So the best place to go to is the CCVA website, which is cvacert.org. Pfizer Benzant is the, oh my gosh, Pfizer, I'm going to forget your title now. Uh, I can't remember, but Pfizer will get in touch with you. So <laughs> um, you can reach out and, and email Pfizer through the website. They're all the information you need, I guess, initially to have a look. All the competencies are there. The handbook is there. You know, they have exam windows twice a year. CVA are very, oh, what's the word, responsive, I guess, to feedback and, and certainly Pfizer and, and the CVA Council, given the numbers are increasing in the Southern Hemisphere now, have been really responsive to things like, you know, they had a fall and a spring exam window. Yeah. Now we have April and October exam windows because it throws us out because we have the opposite seasons to you in the Northern Hemisphere. So all the information you need is on the, the website. Pfizer and a number of council members also host regular information sessions, which they advertise on the website, but also on various um, social media sites as well that you can um, check it out. They have a number of partnerships with organisations such as Alive, Association for Leaders in Volunteer Engagement in yep. America. Again, another organisation that is trying to do things a little differently. I'm a member of that association and they're certainly acknowledging and, and working with me given I'm in the southern hemisphere and being a bit flexible with stuff which is nice so I would reach out to CVA definitely attend one of the information sessions where they'll answer many of your questions Pfizer is scheduling a lot of sessions that's in better I guess at better times in different time zones so they're not all based in helpful time zones in the states and Canada otherwise reach out to me I'm happy to I'm happy to answer any questions as someone who has sat through the process. And how do people get in touch with you then? Easiest way is probably through email or Facebook, really, volunteervillage at outlook.com. And, I would, yeah, I'd love to have a chat and uh, answer any questions that people might have. Cool. And I loved your tip earlier on about just get on LinkedIn and search for people who've got CVA and then find somebody who's in a similar organisation to you and reach out. I mean, that's, that's one of the things, right, that we're such a – a friendly profession people are always happy to answer yes. questions and, and yeah. get back to people yeah and I think the things that come from that this is totally not CVA related but I guess through my connections with CVA is to be able to do things like attend the AVM conference virtually through Twitter yeah. <laughs> you know i I I made some amazing connections last year with the head of St John Ambulance around a volunteer passport that we're looking at introducing over here that came out of a conversation from the AVM conference which I never would have found out about if it wasn't for all my contacts through social media 
So I think, yeah, the opportunities that come from just reaching out to people um, through all the social media channels are amazing. And I think that's been a lovely kind of subtext to our conversation today, Tracy, actually, is about how, and it struck me a few times as you've been talking, that, that we, we talk still a lot in our profession about being very isolated and very isolating. Yeah. But if you're prepared to be just a little bit proactive, like you were, yes. and reach out, then even in times yeah. of kind of global lockdowns and global pandemics, we can reach out and connect with people online and make new connections and attend conferences all around the world if we're prepared to stay up late or go to bed, yeah. get up a little bit early. And I mean, yeah. the Association of Volunteer Managers Conference that you were talking about there, I can remember years ago, probably about 10 years ago, being sat in a really boring meeting somewhere and picking up my mobile phone my cell phone and going on twitter and taking part in a live discussion at a points of light conference that was happening at atlanta yep. on social media and yes. making you know just go to more boring meetings and then pick up your smartphone right. and connections you know it's so it's so, it's so true it? yeah no it's not and even you know completely unrelated now but the opportunities i i attend the uh the volunteering island coffee chats on a friday yeah. night here in in melbourne when i can there's some incredible opportunities and all of it has come through making those connections on LinkedIn initially by finding people through their CBA credential. And yeah, the, the relationships that I have built, the networks I have, the friendships I've created um, has been pretty phenomenal. Thank you. And for those who are listening, we are going to be talking to Pfizer during this first series of Advancing the Profession, although not on issues of CVA. She's going to be uh, talking with us about equality diversity and inclusion because Pfizer I think her job title should be rock star um, because she is pretty much a rock star at anything she does Pfizer so we're looking forward to that conversation hands down yes <laughs> Tracy thank you so much for your time today really really appreciate it. it's always a pleasure to talk to you thank you for coming on advancing the profession and supporting this initial foray into this new way of doing things of mine really do appreciate it and uh, hopefully people will reach out and find out more about cva and credentialing as a consequence thank you very much my pleasure thanks for having me rob